It was Raymond Inman who said, If you're seeking creative ideas, go out walking. Angels whisper to a man when he goes for a walk. Well, I don't know about whispering, but today's Folk on Foot guest will be singing, and some say she has the voice of an angel. For this Folk on Foot, we're in Northern Ireland, in a small town called Dungiven, not far from Derry, Londonderry. That's where the multi-award-winning singer Cara Dillon grew up. It's a place steeped in myth and history, and much of that myth and history has seeped into her music. Cara and her husband and musical collaborator Sam Lakeman now live in Somerset, but her family are still here in Dungiven, and the couple are staying here before playing a gig in Derry tonight. Somebody once said that Cara Dillon's voice is beautiful, even when she's just breathing. For Folk on Foot, she's going to show us the places that shaped her and sing the songs that have followed her around the world from this little town of Dungiven. Cara, good morning. Good Lovely morning, Matthew. You. Come and say hello over here. Lovely to see <laughs> hello, you, Sam. Hello. <laughs> so listen, we're, we're in Dungiven. This is your town this where you were born? This is my hometown, yes. Right. Uh-huh. It's not a and, big town, um, is it? No, it's a small town. Some people say a one-horse town. It's a road through from Belfast right through to Donegal. So when I was growing up, we would have lots of musicians and singers stopping off. Sessions would be happening all during the week. Somebody would get a phone call saying, oh, such and such is in town and everybody would pack up their instruments and head to the pub. That's the thing about this town is um, it's saturated with culture and history and music and there's no escaping it. It's a way of life. So when I went to primary school, you're handed a tin whistle, a fiddle, you're taught all the local songs and your nature walks are all around the local legendary spots and stories about princesses and the castle and it's great. Would you take us on one of those walks and tell us some of the stories? Let's let's set off because I think there's a river down here. There is. So the River Row is the river that runs through the town. And behind us is the main road, as you say, which is very busy. Uh But we're heading straight into the countryside here, aren't we? Down a a little lane towards the river, towards the old priory. What's the story of the old priory? Well, it date back to the, I think, the 13th century. It was an August Dinian Monk's Prairie and I think you you might pick up the vibe when you're there. It's a very very sacred place. There's a holy well, a wart well there. A wart well? Can I get my wart sorted? Absolutely. If you've got a little rag of material you just simply rub the rag with a bit of the water from the well and you hang it up and then as the rag starts to wither away or rot away your wart will go with it. That's good news. And, uh, And I've seen friends of mine who have had skin conditions and the wart whale has cured them. You have to be positive. It's all about being positive. It's about the vibes that you're giving off, is it? You know, I'm particularly interested in the fact that in Celtic mythology, there's a big connection with women and whales and water. The women used to guard the whales because they were so important. And I suppose maybe that's why the prairie sprung up around the well. And there's a tomb there too of somebody important. Yeah. And there's a clan of this area. Yes. Can you tell us about the clan? I can indeed. So the clan were the O'Cahan clan. So that's the Irish name for the O'Keans. 
and the O'Cahans are still a very, very big part of this town. In fact, some of them are my best friends. <laughs> but Cooey Nagal O'Cahan was actually known as the terror of the stranger. So he was a fierce chieftain. And, when when um, was this? Back in the 1300s or something like that? Yeah, I think so. I'm yeah. not a great historian. I, I know all about the vibes and the well, energy of We're talking about hundred, hundreds <laughs> of years ago, aren't we? Yes, hundreds yeah. of years ago. His tomb is here. But um, you see, Finvola, Finvola O'Cahan, who was the princess of this town, Finvola the gem of the row, was taken away to the Isle of Abude, just off Scotland, and married one of the warriors there. There was a lot of good relations between the families here and in Scotland. She was one of a family of 11 children. She was the only girl. And her father and mother obviously loved her and protected her and the brothers were besotted with her. And they made a promise that if she would go to Scotland and marry this Scottish man, that she would have to come home and be buried with her O'Callaghan family. That was the deal. It was a marriage deal that was struck and they promised they would do that. But of course she went away and died of a broken heart, oh. as you would like. Of course, you? being parted from here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they didn't keep their promise, you see, and they didn't let the family know. And the only way the family found out she was dead was because the band she cried. And that was a sign of and someone dying in the family, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and they knew that something terrible had happened to Finvola. So they sailed away to the Isle of a Beauty and they took her body back and they buried it in an unmarked grave right here. So we don't know where it is, but it's somewhere no, near it's us now. it's somewhere here, yeah. You have a song called The Gem of the Row, which is about Finvola. Yes. Would you mind singing it for us? I will, yes, uh-huh. In the land of O'Cahan Where bleak mountains rise those brown bridgy tops now, the dusky cloud fly, deep sunk in a valley, a wildflower to grow, and her name was Finvola, the gem of the road. To the grey shores of Alba, Appear to our view a youth clad in tartan, tis strange but it's true, with a star on his breast and unstrung was his bow, and he sighed for Finvola, the gem of the row, the gem of the row. The gem of the row, and he sighed for Finvola, the gem of the row. To the eyes of a beauty, his bright he did bear, but short were the fond years these lovers did share. For thrice on the hillside, the banshee cried low. It was the death of Finvola, the gem of the road. No more up the streamlet, her maidens will cry. 
For one the pale cheek and be damned the blue eye In silent affliction our sorrows will flow Since gone is Fimbola the gem of the road, the gem of the road, the gem of the road. Since gone is Vinbola, the gem of the road. That was absolutely beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank and you. where does that song come from? How do you know that song? I was taught that song by... Um, my teacher, Mrs. Henfey, at primary school, and um, the castle. There's the castle. This Just is, across the fields yeah, here, because so there's a field of sheep between yeah, us and the castle. That's right. Yeah. So that's the castle where Finvola was born and bred with her brothers. It's a really big part of the history of this town and growing up. You're handed books about this when you're a child. Everybody gets to draw what they think Finvola looked like. It's very, very exciting as a child. It's fairy tale stuff. And there's a, there's a statue of her, isn't there, in the main street, playing yes, a harp? Yes, there is, indeed, yeah. yes. And, you know, the O'Cahans, they were known for their musicianship and there was a harper and... Employed by the clan to tell stories and sing yes, songs? to tell the stories and keep the songs alive and fresh so that they wouldn't disappear. But that would be Dungiven's most famous story, the story of Finvola, you know? Mm. Just here by the Standing Stone, you can see initial excavations. They're going to start a huge bypass of Dungiven, which is long overdue, but it will bring a huge amount of traffic very close to the old priory. So the setting that we're in at the moment will change forever. The irony of modern life running right past the source of life, which is a well. It's just crazy, isn't it? Yeah, you know, this is a beautiful spot, and all of a sudden there'll be a two-lane, three-lane highway going yeah, through here. That's it, yeah. But I suppose economically it's really important. It is really important, and you know what? Maybe from now on the old priory and this little gem that we've got here will become a bit more known throughout the world, mm. which would be a good thing. Let's walk on through the priory, shall yeah. we, and down towards the river. And the, the building is ruined now, isn't it? You, you can just see the remains of yeah, the priory here. Yeah, just the remains, yeah. And the grass growing over the graves, rather undulating, going up a hill. It's extraordinary that they've chosen to put the graveyard on the most inhospitable piece of hobbledy-bobbledy land. It's extreme. It sort of goes up a hill, doesn't it? Does. It goes it's, up several hills and yeah. lumps and bumps and little dips and stuff with rocks sticking out. The last time we visited here was with the children and my sister dressed up as the banshee and came up half an hour before us and she hid amongst the graves. And then I said, do you want to know the story of Finvola? And I started to sing Finvola, the gem of the road to the kids. They were all really listening, you know, about the banshee part. And then they could hear this kind of a haunting cry in the background and they were all looking at each other and my sister jumped out all dressed up as the banshee so <laughs> they were terrified <laughs> keeping the tradition alive Matthew. <laughs> what's going on here in this gap in the, in the bushes so this oh here's is, the wartwell this right. is the wartwell yeah in through the bushes and it's simply a bullion stone basically a hole that gets filled up with water but it has got some mystical very powers. mystical, sacred qualities to it. So, yeah. Should we touch the water? Or I think you, be allowed? you know, it would be wrong to leave it's, without doing it. It's full of, it's full <laughs> of leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently St. Patrick knelt at this wartwell. St. Patrick himself? Yeah. You can see in the stone the shape of two 
knees. And yes. apparently he, he came here and had a little kneel down to himself and a think about something. It's amazing all the stories that there are around here, isn't, isn't there? it? The, yeah. The mythology. Sometimes in the year when you come up, the whole tree is just completely saturated with rags. There's so two or three up there that people have obviously uh-huh. used to put on their warts, yeah. put the water on their hands and then hung the rags in the tree. Uh-huh. But normally there, there'd be lots yeah, more like there. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. So I think maybe they've need to, you know, give it a bit of a clean up to make way for, <laughs> for more, more people, rags. for more warts. <laughs> yeah. Should we just step into the Priory through this, this archway um, yep. and a sort of ivy clad wall? Yes. Um, and we can see some of the tombs. See how Cooey Nagal is sleeping. <laughs> and it's behind this grating, is it? Yeah, if you, you can to protect it. look in through the grate, you'll see. So we're looking in through the dark yep. recesses of the enclosure. And then on the right, you can see the figure of the chief lying in a sort of niche or archway. It's very gloomy in there. It quite is. Hard to see. It's quite, you know, it's quite scary. I've looked through this many times. I've been lifted up to have a, a look through the, the grating here, like when I was a child. And um, this is the stuff that nightmares are made of, isn't it? <laughs> Do you feel his spirit here? <laughs> you can. You can definitely feel something going on. And, and he'd have um, been quite a, a tough guy, would he? He was a mighty chieftain. I love the fact that they've got him massive. And the tomb, and then his little men are all these little dwarf men who have been protecting him. Gallow glasses, is that it? Mm-hmm. The gallow glasses were his little protectors. So he employed them from Scotland. They were very tiny little men. It's like something at Game of Thrones, isn't it? <laughs> they, they were bodyguards. They were his bodyguards, yeah. And uh, tiny but tough. Yeah. <laughs> So we're coming down through a wood now into the river valley. Yep. So we said earlier that you started singing when you were very young. Yes. Did you start to sing competitively when you were young? Because I think you won, a, you won a prize when you were about 14, didn't you? I did, and I kind of fell into that. They would have a thing here called the Flacule, which is like a little music festival. Basically, if you were interested in the songs and singing, which everyone here was, you would meet and you would all sing three songs each and then one of the great legendary characters would be judging to see if you were doing like all the breathing right ornamentation your style your presentation of the song and actually after the competition ended it was more a chance for us to all just go and hang out and meet other children who were interested in the same thing as yourself you know so um, my mother drove me and my sister all throughout Ireland to lots of these flacules. I think that was the start of it for me. I realised how important music was going to be in my life. And did I loved you it. enjoy that? It wasn't just your mum who was putting you no, into those. It was I your loved it so much. That. I couldn't wait for the summer to start so that we could just get in the car and, and drive off. And it wasn't just the competition. It was like music sessions every night. And, you know, you'd hear a, a tune the hairs would be standing on the back of your neck. It would feed a part of your soul. I know it sounds corny, but like a tune wasn't just a tune. Mm. There was different styles of traditional singing from different counties. And you would listen to someone singing in a pub and you'd take what you heard. You know, we didn't have like the mobile phones where you would record it. You would take that away with you 
in your and, mind in your mind and you would try and sort of perfect something of a little bit of uh, Tyrone style singing or Donegal style singing looking back you know it's amazing but it's an education isn't it it is an education and a cultural education about the yeah. history of your country yeah and it stays with you everywhere you go We've reached the river. We have. We can this hear is it. the river road babbling away in the background. <laughs> and there's a bridge. We can we can just stand on the bridge. You wouldn't like to sing us a song about the river here on the bridge, would you? I would actually. I'm very proud of this river. I think I've probably recorded half a dozen songs about the river row. So this particular song is one of my favourites. It's a song which was written from a series of letters that a man who had left and given, he went to, I think, America and he was so homesick that he sent these letters home and someone turned them into the song. Some poets sing of a noble king or of a sweetheart fair. Some tell a tale of ships at sail with treasures rich and rare but my humble pen still drifts again to scenes of long ago across the sea to the vanity and the winding river Right well do I remember now those happy childhood days and the times I had when just a lad on Karn's lovely brains and when my Inclined. No other joys I know For my heart remains On the verdant plains Near the winding river Ben Brad is crying or done given time is still within my view and the Benedict land I worship there still lives in memory too the beautiful scene of Cashel Green Still haunts where I go, and in all my dreams, I see it seems the winding river road. If fortune smiles on me while I would cross the sea again and all these years of toil and tears 
forgotten them And when at last my life has passed Contentedly I'll go across the sea To the Benedict and the winding river road. How does it feel to sing it here with the river sound in the background? Yeah, it feels really, really special. It just feels right. And I've always had a connection with these songs from here about people leaving home. I feel a sense of duty. I'm carrying on the songs for the people belonging to me who've had to leave and make that journey. You know, if fortune smiles on me, I'll cross the sea again. And all these years of toil and tears will be forgotten then. I want to talk about you leaving here as well, because obviously at some point you decided that you had to make your future mm -hmm. elsewhere. Was that difficult? Do you know, it kind of happened very naturally and quickly. I was young, I was 19, and I didn't really sit down and think of the bigger picture or what it might have been like for my parents, because they were older. You know, my mother's 80 seven now and my father was 10 years older than her at the time that I left he's no longer with us but you know when you're young and you're 19 and you're offered a record deal there's an excitement and the record deal yeah. meant you had to live somewhere else meant yes. you had to move where yeah well I went and met Sam and his brothers and they um, had a studio in their home and, and we should be clear about Samley's brothers because this is the famous Lakeman dynasty really isn't it I mean yes. Jeff's got an album out now That's their dad it. you know the brothers are famous Seth and, and Sean yeah. Sam come and join us what was your first impression of her when you first met her well I'd been aware of Cara she was in a small traditional band from Dungiven called Oiga and when we were offered this record deal we had a band that featured Kate Rosby and Catherine Roberts but Kate didn't want to sign the record deal and so we said well we've got the right person in mind absolutely we're going to call this girl Cara Dillon and see if she's interested and she was and she jumped on a plane and as soon as I met Cara we definitely were soulmates as soon as we met and started talking about music we knew we were on the same page absolutely but my impression of Cara I mean she had the most amazing voice even then and so I was smitten immediately <laughs> were you smitten too you know, as Sam said, we became best friends, soulmates, and the music intertwines it all. You know, it's, it's beautiful. You can see on stage a sort of emotional connection between you that's more yep. than just musician to musician. Definitely. Do you think being life partners as well as musical partners brings a different quality to the music? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, if I was to pause a little longer in a song that Sam's accompanying me with, he goes with it. It's incredible. We're kind of second-guessing all the time what we're going to do and getting it right somehow it's like a connection mm. i'm worried sam what happens if you have a row at home just before you're going well, to go we on don't. stage i mean when we first met in that band <laughs> equation all those years ago back in the mid 90s we were only in it for about 11 months before we decided that actually what we wanted to do was something different when we left that band it was quite a traumatic experience so there's this big explosive emotional situation that happened and as a result our music we had to be extremely honest with each other we started in a very vulnerable space and so we built everything from zero upwards from there so we don't row about anything now because everything's frivolous compared to the bigger picture. Mm. We actually get on really, really, really well all that, the time. And you have been some, through some very traumatic times yes. together. I want to ask you, Cara, about the birth of your twins because mm -hmm. that was a very, very difficult and dramatic time. Yeah, Did it all start difficult. when you were on stage? Yes, I was six months pregnant, 26 weeks exactly. 
and I had been told that come 26 weeks you put your feet up for the next three months with Carrie and the twins. So um, I was doing exactly what I was told, it was our last gig of the tour and I went into labour during the concert, I was having contractions but I didn't know. So what, you kept going whilst you were in labour? I, I did, yes. Oh and then goodness. when the concert finished, I came off and I said to Sam and the band, I said, I'm, I'm really not in a good place, but they wanted an encore. And Sam said, let's go to the hospital and see if everything's okay. And I said, well, these people have paid money <laughs> and they're asking for one more song. We should give them one more song, you know. So we did that and then we got straight in the car. Thankfully, we weren't far from Bath Hospital and... They were born the next day at one o'clock. Incredibly premature. Yes. And, and what sort of condition were they in when they were born? Really terrible. One of them had a grade four hemorrhage um, on his brain and the other had a grade two. And we were given a terrible prognosis that they were just not going to make it. So it was hell on earth for those 48 hours and what? actually for the three months yeah. while they were in yeah. hospital. It what, was, was it, what was your memory of that night? Uh, it was extraordinary. While they were giving Cara medication through the night to try and stave off the um, delivery, the rest of the band turned up with the rider and came into the <laughs> hospital and sat with Cara was in her beautiful stage dress we were all in our gig wear and then it got very traumatic, you know, when the babies were born, there was an emergency caesarean and, and they came out and while Cara was recovering from the general anaesthetic I was left with these tiny babies in their incubators, you know, just fighting for their lives. How long did it take Cara before you knew that they were going to be okay? Three months they Three were months allowed out of the, the hospital and it wasn't until they were one year old that we were given the all clear they were signed off as being perfect and so they're amazing yeah and when they were in the incubators did you play music to them or did you sing to them i did in fact a couple of the doctors there when they heard our story and what we did they said this is really important you know your babies have only ever heard you singing and obviously the incubator is supposed to mimic the womb so what we're going to do is we're going to play your cds to the babies and i i often joke about there must be a whole new wave of folkies out there who don't know why or how they're interested in folk music but um they were subjected to our music in the, in and, the and they felt that that would be reassuring and soothing to the infants yeah and then we saw how the music affected them because you know they're linked up to these um, health monitors Alarms would be going off, there'd be people then rushing around checking if everything's okay. But when the music came on, everything stabilised. It was incredible. Their heart rate would just chill out. And as long as they got the songs that we were touring for those past six months, they seemed <laughs> to be was familiar. quite happy. It was familiar, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it must change your life, really, to go through something like that, to, oh. to, to give birth to children and not know whether they're going to live or die. Did it change your philosophy of life? Did it change the way you think about living? Oh, big time. Um, nothing's been the same since, really, because essentially they're the most important thing in our lives, you know. And, and you changed your working pattern by bringing the work closer to home, didn't you? You had a studio at home. We did, yes. Uh, well, we'd always had a studio at home, but we, we changed our horizon our aspirations you know we still hold those same aspirations that other musicians have you know of reaching the stars you know but we stopped worrying about it more importantly we let things happen we reduced the size of our outfit so instead of touring as a seven-piece band we went very acoustic we were with rough trade at the time we got off that label and decided to set up our own label so that we had no one telling us what to do at any point we went right back to the songs that Cara grew up with because they were nourishing us and interestingly enough, that was our most successful record to date. Mm -hmm. um, this is Hill of Thieves. The Hill of Thieves. Yeah. And funny enough, 
up until that point, every time I recorded a song, I would analyze it and think, did I do a good performance? And when the babies were born and we were recording that album at home, that wasn't even an issue. I would say to Sam, Sam, they are being fed at you know 11 o'clock tonight again. So can we get this song done before feeding time? <laughs> and it was literally like that. And it did me the world of good. You better. know, I realized that there's a freedom that should come with singing those songs that I had kind of forgotten about. And interestingly enough, some of our biggest successes have come since we did since that. Since that. Yeah. By relaxing and being yourselves exactly, and, yeah. not, and not being part of the machine. That's right. That's and you right. mentioned the Hill of Thieves because the Hill of Thieves is, is near here, isn't it? It's the mountain behind yeah, us. Yeah, the mountain Ben Brada translates from the Irish into Hill of Thieves. It got its name because Queen Maeve of Connacht took refuge there when she stole the brown bull. She was in competition with her husband to see who was the most powerful. It was all about you know, what you had <laughs> and what you could achieve. So she stole the bull and all her men, they took refuge on the Hill of Thieves where she knew that she wouldn't be found and she'd be safe. Because uh, you'll see it, it's very, um, you know, you wouldn't really be going up it in a hurry. And, uh... <laughs> it's a dark mountain, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? It's yeah, it's a very dark mountain. mountain. Yeah. Let's go up in and then will you sing the song for us up there? Yes, absolutely. It was a song written from being homesick. You know, I just wanted to feel the rain here again, you know, and the mist, just the smells of home and see the mountain and that drive over Glen Sheen Pass, the prairie. And so there's a little nod to everything in that song, everything I love about here. back towards the, the town now and there's a field of cows just on the right but through <laughs> beyond the field of cows is the most extraordinary view. Yeah. What, what can we see there stretching across through the, the valley and up to the hills? Right in front of us you can see an area called the Benedict Glen so there's been a lot of songs again which mention the Benedict Glen and um, as you come into Dungiven you go over the Glen Sheen Pass and the Benedict is that whole glen that surrounds that area of land mm. Do you know what? You asked me earlier about, you know, leaving home and did I realise, you know, at the time how big a deal it was and and I really didn't. And the last two or three years, every single time I come over the Glensheen Pass, I cry. Because I think, you know, as you get older, you realise the significance of the decisions you make in your life and all the stuff that you've done and all the things you love and you've lost. I think about my family and my father's dead now. Would you ever come back here? Do you know what? I have this dream that Sam and I, maybe he 
he Maybe might he's agree with me. Yeah, he's <laughs> when I'm a lot older, <laughs> you know, when our children are kind of leaving home and that, I have a dream to have a little house by the sea in Donegal. That is it, you know, because I've spent a lot of my childhood. We had a holiday home in Donegal, and so that's where I, I'm going to end up. And it's not far. From are you anywhere. up for that, Sam? Yeah, I suppose. I'm not going to say no. You've got a dream of a West Devon cottage, have you? Yeah, well. (laughs) This beautiful relationship we talked about earlier. You settled really well, but now I managed to revoke an argument. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Matthew. Let's walk on quickly before fighting breaks out. We're just recording a podcast called Folk on Foot. The wonderful singer Cara Dillon here. We love your sheep. Is there going to be a lot of rain? I am watching the cheer. Ah, right. You keep going. Lovely to see you. So we're coming up to the top of the Hill of Thieves now. Yeah. And there's a little bit of rain in the wind mm-hmm. and the clouds are gathering in. Yeah. Uh, but the view from here is absolutely spectacular. It really is. And on a clear day, you know, there's nowhere else to be. As a child, we'd come up here, we'd walk up through the fields and we'd come up here and have picnics and spend the whole day friends and just hanging out on the mountain. <laughs> what can we see from here, Cara? So, right over here is the far northwest, so you've got Loch Foyle, which would have carried right people there. away, you know, the big uh, immigration port. And then it's like panoramic view right over here in the distance, you've got the Sperrin Mountains. The town laid out below us, yeah, like a little toy village, the, isn't it? Yeah, just, and the wind farm. That's right, just settled at the foot of the mountain. It's Dungiven and that main road that you can see which runs from here right through to Donegal. What happens on the other side of the mountain? Well, if you keep going the Ulster Way, you can walk right across here and come out in the middle of Glen Ullen, which is where my parents are both from. And they grew up literally, you can see no civilization from there. What sort of houses were they? Just traditional Irish type cottages that they grew up in. But obviously now they're just, you know, my cousins own the farmland around. So they've been keeping things like livestock in the houses and that. But an amazing place too, to think that my parents came from that. They came from the middle of a mountain. And actually, now my mother's older, she talks about the happiest childhood. She had such a wonderful time. And her mother used to grow all her vegetables and they lived off the land. Mm -hmm. And there was eight children. And I remember my mother saying that she remembers the day her brother was born, her younger brother. The men were out working in the fields and her mother came out with a big basket of soda scones that she had made. And she fed them all tea and soda scones and went away and had the baby. And then came back out again to help the men get the things ready for the evening. (laughs) And I'm like... We um, women aren't made of that kind of stuff anymore. I don't think I know <laughs> we're different. Like story. you know, we've all got our strengths. But um, she's a strong woman. It's incredible to think that that's the life they led, and they they had very little 
but they were very, very happy. I'm not sure this is entirely the right place to record because the rain, <laughs> the rain's coming down now. Yeah. Is there anywhere we can go? At the foot of the mountain, there's um, a lovely Shabin, which is a, an Irish session house, you know, a, a drinking house. And when we're at home, we end up going to this house for session. So if the people are in, I'm sure they won't mind us popping in and singing a song. <laughs> we'll try that. Let's do it. We talk about soft rain in Northern Ireland. This is anything but soft rain. This is wet rain. Oh, I can hear a skylark. And I can see it now soaring up into the air. So we've parked in a yard now at the bottom of the mountain and uh, Sam and Cara have gone ahead. Sam's got his guitar out, which is always a good sign, and Cara's got a whistle, I think. We're going to go into this white-painted building, single-storey building with an iron roof. It's really quite small. It's a little horseshoe over the door. Oh. Oh wow, this is amazing. I know, it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, there's, just a, there's sort of padded seating all the way around the walls here in this little cottage. Is this your, is this your cottage? We, we haven't, we haven't been formally introduced. Oh, sorry. I'm Matthew. Yeah. Hi. Oh, great to meet you. Tell us what normally goes on in here. Do you have sing songs? I do, I, I, yeah. I surely. What, for local musicians? I, I, mostly I, I local people. I. Yeah, mm -hmm. I bet there's a great atmosphere. When you get that stove going, there's a lovely stove. Aye. On the other side there. Aye. How many people can you get in? Uh, 20, 25. 20, 25 people. And we can hear the rain on the roof. Aye. And that's why we've come inside, because Cara and Sam are going to play and sing for us. Do you, do you mind if we do that? No bother at all. Well, oh, thank you very much. Brilliant. Have you sang in here before, Cara? Yes. The last time myself and Sam were back over with the children, um, there was a a session happening here so we brought the children out with us because we're encouraging them to play our twin boys play the whistle and the fiddle and we're trying to keep them involved in the music and so it was brilliant so we had a, gr a great night out here and the children all fell asleep <laughs> did so you we go on late into the night by any chance uh, well I, I don't know Dominic was it a late one <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's just a way of life this wood burning stove was fierce and there was a kettle on there with and a hot plate with food and, and tea. And we were sat in a wee horseshoe here having a session and there were wee rows of seats at the back there and all the family members came wandering in from other houses in the fields and sat down and just listened to the session. You know, it's and not... music's at the heart of the community. Absolutely. And everyone gathers because, you know, their, their heart's in the right place. They just want to play a few tunes together. And the last time we were here then, Dominic's wife made tea and there was scones and sandwiches and everything for everyone. It's a, it's a, it's a big night out like, yeah. when you decide to come out. So. Oh, I bet there's a great atmosphere in here and I can't think of anywhere more wonderful to hear music than right up close mm -hmm. to the musicians in a little, a little shed really, a little hut like this. While we're here, I wanted to ask if you would sing another song for us, which is from your new album. And I, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about writing songs yes. as opposed to traditional songs. Yep. Did you find it difficult to start to do that, given that you were so steeped in the tradition? Was it something you were a bit nervous about when you started writing? I was a bit nervous because there are 
such a wealth of um, songs to draw from. People from this town are constantly giving me songs or reminding me of songs that I can sing. And the songs are so powerful and the melodies are, you know, they've stood the test of time. So they're good songs, you know. And so trying to write a song when you've got that kind of a heritage, it's quite daunting. And for a while I, I had given it a go and then we had our children and I got out of the, the habit of writing songs and I think I lost my confidence maybe a bit. And it wasn't until this last album, Wanderer, that I kind of found the confidence to pick up a pen and start again. But you're still writing about stories that have been handed down to you, aren't you? For, yes. for example, there's the, the Leaving Song, which I yeah. think is about stories that your mother told you. Yeah, my mother told me when I was growing up stories about uh, a thing called the Living Wake. And um, they would have a night of music and song and dance to celebrate a person's life before they would leave home and go to America. Would it have been a room like this where that kind yeah. of living wake would have been held? Absolutely, exactly the same kind of thing. Um, you know, where my parents grew up, their houses on the mountain were not dissimilar to this. And so people would gather and they'd, um, they'd stay awake all night, like awake. They'd stay with the, the body, so to speak, and give <laughs> them a, a living proper body. A living <laughs> body. And I suppose many people would just say, an excuse for another party, the Irish, you know, getting <laughs> together. But... Um, it was a really important thing because, you know, they knew that they were never going to see that person again. That was their final farewell. And the song that I wrote about um, hearing stories like this, about, um, you know, people who had left from this area and from Glen Ullen, where my parents are from, this song, I, I just felt I needed to write my own version of the story. Mm. And as a mother now myself, trying to imagine what it must have been like to say goodbye to your son and knowing that, you know, he needed to go if he was going to have a better life back then or make a life for himself and to try not to hold him back, but really, really wanting him to stay, you know, because that's that's where he belongs, really. So I wrote this song um, from a mother's point of view of saying goodbye. Will you play it for us? Well, indeed, yeah. <laughs> We've kissed you and blessed you, we 
vault on our bed But once I could swear love I heard the wind sing It warned off the stay And the cold it might bring These northern lights shine love Reflect on the form They light you with Thank you. I just want to say, oh, Cara and Sam, it's been a, a privilege and a pleasure to be with you for this short time today, and thank you so much. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks a million, Matthew. If you've enjoyed this edition of Folk on Foot, please do rate and review us so that more people can find us. You can subscribe to Folk on Foot on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts by clicking the subscribe button. And there are more episodes of Folk on Foot with Kareen Polwart on Fala Moore, the young'uns in Hartlepool, Steve Knightley on the X-Trail, Sam Lee singing with Nightingales in Sussex, and Eliza Carthy at Robin Hood's Bay.